While no one knows what tomorrow may bring, Bridgestone is working toward a more positive outlook. With innovations like developing a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials. It's just one of the many ways Bridgestone is making a difference today, for generations to come. Because that's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. If scary movies give you dread, keep you up late night in bed, here's a podcast that will help you ease your mind. We'll explain the plot real nicely, then we'll talk about what's frightening so you never have to have a spooky time. It's ruined. Hello, welcome to Ruined. I'm Hallie. And I'm Allison. And uh, this is a podcast where we ruin a horror movie just for you. Just for all of you. Hallie, how you doing? I'm good. I'm sorry. As soon as the camera turned on, I, a bunch of phlegm came up out of my throat <laughs> and uh, wanted to be on the podcast. Yeah. It's like our bodies know when we're on mic and they're just like, I'm going to spew some shit. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm good. Let's see. I'm trying to think. Um, it's just, just working. Um, yep. Just, uh, you know... Reading the news, seeing what's what's going on in the world. Does seem like yeah. the not to, the media industry does seem to be collapsing right in now. Free and, fall. Like in ooh, true free brother, fall. Brother. Um, um yeah. Hey, yikes. Yeah, I feel yikes. fortunate to I mean, I just think of like the podcast industry. It's like, well, we'll see what happens here as yeah. you know, like every yep. other media company is being affected. Um yeah. so our hearts and minds go out to you if you're affected by that. And yes. just uh, you know, much like everything, it's like, well, did we really have to do all why do we why do we set it up like this? Why are we right. so committed to failure? Why are we yes. constantly uh what I I hope the the millionaires who uh profited off of this I want to say um, Peter Thiel, uh, who is famously mm. a uh, yes. uh, a gay uh, uh, rich m- maniac, maniac, I suppose, <laughs> uh, an, a venture capitalist, which means right. a vampire maniac. that yeah. uh, destroys uh, you know the American economy. He's now oh here we go. So Peter Thiel, I, I read him up about him. I mean, he's one of these. He's like a co-founder of PayPal. He's just someone who has like mm-hmm. his fingers in a lot of stuff. Obviously, as a queer person, to see a gay, evil gay billionaire, it's like, well, it's a lot of the nose. You couldn't. And here's what he's doing today. Here's what he, this week, okay. This is from the New York Post. Oh, not a reputable business, but I, you know, hey. Um, here's the headline Billionaire Peter Thiel bankrolling Olympics on steroids event that allows athletes to dope. So the, oh my the God. economy is collapsing. The environment, the, the planet is dying, and this. Absolute sack of shit. It's like, I'm going to get all my rich maniac friends together, which absolutely, this is like running, man. Like, this is absolutely a dystopian sci-fi movie. And they're going to encourage athletes to take uh, performance-enhancing drugs, and then they'll compete. Um, So if that's what you hoped that Richie would do with with your money that you've worked for that has cycled up to them, that's what they're doing with it. And uh, that being said, w- would I go if I had a ticket? No, but I would watch it if it was online. And that's the truth about me is that I'm not yes. a good person. I would watch this. But no, of it's course. not good that it's like, oh, what's going on? Oh, sure. I uh, don't want to use your money for anything good. We're going to do some Just sort of for that. insane LSD Olympics. All right. Oh well, the world God. burns. Anyways, Allison, how are you doing? I'm fine. Um, I... Uh, 
I did a couple nights of my solo show about abortion at Union Hall here in Brooklyn. And Heard there, of some it. very lovely ruined fans oh, came out last you. night and I got thank to chat coming, with guys. them and we like took nine billion photos and this we were just like, we need to get a good one. Um and they were so sweet. I have already forgotten their names. I'm so sorry, but thank mm. you guys for coming and um being so fun and cute. So that I keep having um an issue. So my building, which I'm very proud of the building I live in, it has like a really, it has an A um, for uh, energy efficiency. Oh, great. Okay. I was like, that's which an feels, interesting way to feel about a building. Please yeah, continue. but I'm like very proud that our building, like ha- it is not like, and, and part of that energy efficiency, I believe, is the fact that our hallway lights are on timer, like movement sensors. Right. So it's like, oh, no yes, one's in the yes. hallway. They're not going to light the hallway. What a waste of energy, which yeah. I'm so on board with. I love it. However. But- it doesn't like come on immediately. Like that, you really do have to be moving. Um, oh, so when I get off the elevator in my apartment's like kind of like the neck, like right next. I don't have. It's not a lot of. If I lived further down the hall, it would like be fine. But it's like sometimes I get to my door and I'm like, the light still hasn't come on in the hallway. There's not like windows. It's a hallway, so it's like very dark. This and I have is to, stressing like, wave me my out. Arms. This is stressing me out, girl. And it's like, you know, it's not, like, I'm not scared. I'm just annoyed. Like, it's not, like, I'm like, I know there's no one behind me, like, trying, you know, sneaking in or something like that. But it is, like, this thing where I'm just like, can these be, if they're going to be motion sensors, Mm -hmm. can they be, like, just a little more sensitive? Because, like, I'm a human being walking off an elevator. Why do I have to wave my arms Mm. around when I'm carrying groceries? (laughs) Which I just got back from grocery shopping before we did the podcast. And uh, it was, uh, pitch dark. I had to kind of, like, like, I guess what Jostle. I like about it is that it's scary. Yeah, well, it feels very up your alley to yeah. get off an elevator onto a dark hallway. Mm, okay. That's very you. Well, I'm sorry that happened to you, but also happy for me that I get to think about that scary thing yeah, you brought up. sure. And, like, again, like, way to go building, not just, like, burning energy. It doesn't need to, build, like, burn. I mean, not that then I come in here and turn on every light and run all my appliances. So it's like, what's the difference? I know. I, I definitely have my parents, like, I unplug everything because mm-hmm. I, I don't know whether it's even true or not, but there's sort of the concept of like an energy, a vampiric energy where they're drawing energy if from the wall. If it's plugged in, it's still drawing. And it could also like lead to some kind of like electrical fire oh. or explosion, even if it's not on. And I will um, say, yeah, I'm someone who constantly assumes I have just caused an electrical explosion. Yes, so I'm unplugging everything. Yeah. Um, boy, I'm really sorry, but thank you for your service in living in this energy efficient. And I guess that's that's just what it is, you know, the, the trade-offs. Yeah, it's just what it is. I just wish I just I just want the light to come on when I, a human being, mm-hmm. uh and uh, as in far the as we know, yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, that makes maybe sense. I'm, maybe this is the sign that I'm living on a different plane. Well, speaking of a different plane, mm. uh, we're doing snakes on a plane. No, we are doing a <laughs> we movie. We should do snakes on a plane. <laughs> is I guess it's like, is it a horror movie? Well, for some, I imagine if you're afraid of snakes, no, that but we absolutely. Could reverse, it could be a reverse. Okay, I like that. We also had talked right. about recently. What was the one we talked about? Reverse ruining. There's a movie coming out. Oh, the Oh, I, the I was going to say the bumblebee. Jason but the Statham's the beekeeper. <laughs> like, this seems like a perfect reverse ruined. Yeah, super zany and weird. Where he's like a hitman, but also a beekeeper. Great, yeah. tie me up. Um, but yes, we are doing a movie that Allison has seen. Um, and we believe she's actually seen it I, twice. Twice. Yes. But once, well, okay, we'll talk about it. And then I'll tell you the two contexts in which I saw this movie. Okay, because I was also saying, I think, I've really only seen this movie one time. And it was when I was in my teen years. So it was like mm-hmm. seeing it again. I remembered it. But it was sort of seeing it with fresh eyes. And uh, the movie, of course, is The Shining. And the reason yes. we wanted to do it, there's twofold. One, um, 
Allison doesn't retain anything. So we thought, what's the likelihood? No. And then Not two, to sketch. and more importantly, I don't care. Like, I, no. well, this is just a conceit we all agreed to. There's no laws saying that I we can't do I still want to hear you tell me about this movie, whether I remember every detail or not. And if, if, speaking of every detail, would you then please tell us, in what scenario did you see I this? I think I've actually seen parts of this movie three times now that I'm thinking about it. And it is a movie that was so, like, I feel like every joke was about this movie in the 90s. Yes. So I feel like yes. parts of it trickle through. So it's like, even without seeing it, surely you've seen par- parts yes. of it. Yes, of course, like, there's mm-hmm. a treehouse of horror yes. on The Simpsons, where the shinning. Um, the shinning. But, so do you remember in the 90s, they aired this on network TV with no commercials? Ooh. There was like a, it was a special, hmm. like it was like a Sunday. Do you, I just remember. I just I found I familiar. Really, I don't think I saw it, but it We familiar. were really, we were young. I remember, and I remember my mom being like psyched. She's a huge Stephen King fan. Mm. And so oh, yeah, I remember I saw like the opening sequence and I was like, I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> I didn't like that at all. It's so scary, the music. Um, and then when I had my first back surgery when I was 19, I was just like, I was at my parents' house recovering and we were just, my mom and I were just looking for anything to watch. Yeah. And I remember we watched The Shining together. Um, and But I was on like drugs. So I'm like, I don't, that didn't stick. Yeah. Um, and then like six or seven years ago, um, my friend Divya and I were at a party of one of her friends and we got talking about Slender Man, mm-hmm. um, as you do. Um, and we got really upset because like we were both like, I don't want to know him. Um, <laughs> and like our friend was talking about the, sh- and then we were talking about horror in general and The Shining and how, and I think he had just watched the um, documentary of all the, the theories yes. about what the movie is uh, about. Room, room 237, which we will talk about um, after yes. the after we uh, So the it. next morning, I slept at Divya's apartment and we woke up at 10 a.m. and back-to-back double featured The Shining oh, and shit. then the documentary okay, about it. Okay, that's fun. But again, that was like, I mean, many years ago at this point and it just didn't stick. Allison, <laughs> it could have been yesterday. I, I have total faith in, you, yeah. in your lack of, of memory. Yes. I, I feel right. great about this. I don't have to prove to you that I don't remember it. You it's, know, no, I yeah. don't. <laughs> but we do want to make it fun and sort of incorporate yes. her knowledge. So we, I will be asking a couple of qu- times throughout what happens next and see if mm-hmm. you remember. And at the end, we'll be doing a quiz. And the quiz is both, now you will have seen it ostensibly four times. Do you remember what I just told you happened no. 15 minutes earlier? And I'm excited to find out. We'll I also, mean, I definitely won't, but we'll see. We'll also <laughs> talk about the room, room 237. We're also going to, of course, talk about... Um, basically, uh, Stanley Kubrick's treatment of Shelley Duvall uh, during filming. Mm-hmm. We talked about, I remember during The Birds, we talked about uh, Tippi Hedren and uh, Alfred yeah. Hitchcock. And as people work in the entertainment industry, you know, you just sort of see things where it's like people might be like, that's shocking that kind of thing happened. It's like, I think it was it's pretty like, much standard issue. I don't think issue. it's shocking. Yeah, um, I think it's it's way more common than I think most people will ever know. Yeah, um, but I will say, you know, when we'll talk about it, that I think, Shelley Duvall also herself has a very has mixed feelings about it and sort of a complicated relationship. So we want to acknowledge that and talk about that, which we will do yes. after uh, the program. Uh, we always like to have Allison watch the trailer. And I don't know if you even needed to see the trailer. But I it, didn't. But, but it was you, all the same. Yeah. There was a trailer I do want to talk about because like the, it's like, look, I've seen this movie multiple times right. at this point. And I was like, I don't need to like familiarize myself with the vibe. I know the vibe. You but know the vibe. there is a trailer. Um and maybe we can like share it on social when this comes out. But like, I don't know if you ever saw. There's a tra- a a recut trailer of The Shining 
as a rom-com. Yes, I remember this. And yeah. it's set to like uh, Salisbury Hill. Like oh it's my like God. a very, yeah. like, it's like, and it's just like, do, 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 do. And it's like, you know, um, the cute kid whose name I already forgot. Bobby? Danny. Danny. That's mm-hmm. the same name. Yeah, good um, guess. You know, riding the bike around and it's like, you know, jaunty, cute, like rom-com music. And it's just a very, it's like so funny how much, it shows just how much of that movie in particular, like, yes, there's like scary stuff happening, but like how much of it is actually just like, the vibes. Yes. Yeah, very much so. And I think that is what it is most known for. I, I think, I, you yeah. know, I'm going to say this right out top. The movie itself is not frequently scary, but what Mm-mm. what it, when you take it in total, it is like an incredible film. Um, so unsettling. Yes, deeply unsettling. Um, and we also take a, take a baseline scary for Allison. How scary do you find the concept of being a writer? Oh, it's horrifying. Isn't it? I live it every day. It's so bad. I hate it. I love what I do, but I also hate what I do. And I think, you know, like like so many, you know, we did Misery. um, Mm -hmm. So many Stephen King movies, it is about his relationship to himself as a a writer. And this movie is very much, you know, critiquing, uh, you know, the the more selfish uh, parts of himself as a writer, which I think is also like why people like Stephen King is like, it's Mm -hmm. clearly about him as a writer in a way that is, it makes sense. Um, but yeah, it's I'm I'm entering a new writing phase now that I'm medicated for ADHD, and it's really yeah. interesting trying to like approach it, not driven entirely by like spiking adrenaline, basically. Yes. And so for me, at least, like I kind of have to like creep onto myself, like I have to like approach writing from the side. So it becomes this like weird like game I have to play with myself. But it yes. but I am learning the rules, and it is working. But it just okay. it, you can see how like. It's a process and a relationship with yourself and to writing that is itself very odd. Or I find it very, like, it is something outside of yourself that you have to approach in a different way. Yeah. it I it, And, like, it's a relationship that, like, evolves and changes yeah. as you do. Like, it's mm-hmm. not just, it's not as linear as, like, maybe a, a physical thing in the way that, like, you know, sports, it's, like, you work hard and it's good and then, like, you get older and maybe it's less good. Like, it's, like, mm-hmm. there's this, like, just constant, sometimes I'm in phases where I'm, like, I am a capital W writer and yeah. I'm good at it and I mm-hmm. understand how to do it. And then there's phases where I'm, like, still writing, still a writer, and I'm, like, what is happening? Where it's, like, I'll- like I don't know what I'm doing. And, like, is yes. this, and like, I'm, like, I'm, like, I anything? feel like I'm, like, hallucinating, like, reality because I'm just, like, when I write something, I'm, like, is this? Yeah. Do people want this? And and I think that also speaks to both, neither of us having uh, self-confidence about our writing. But I think it's, like, yeah, it's, you have these <laughs> professional moments. Professional writers. We're professional writers. Yeah. But you, I, and you it's know, still Still moments kind of all the time us. where it's, like, am I going to ever write again? I, I still mm-hmm. have those thoughts. And it's, like, well, probably. But it feels like that. So I, I, I really enjoyed, you know, that part of this film. Yeah. Um, and then, finally, before we get started, well, I guess it's hard to guess the twist. Um, right. Would you like to guess a twist that you know is not the right one, but you also could have imagined happening in this movie? Can you mm. fantasize a twist? Okay. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Guess the twist. I'm going to guess that the um, the owner of the the building, the Over, hotel. The Overlook. The Overlook. Um, that the owner who he meets with in the beginning and takes the job from is actually like, a serial killer murderer and he's kind of orchestrating Jack's madness um, 
so that he would kill kill his whole whole family. I love this. That's a great one. That's a great. Right. I could see that. So being... that it becomes yeah yeah like that's it's like it's like actually never a hotel. It's always just tricking a solitary you know person and their family into coming so that they'll get murdered. I love it. Okay, great, perfect. Where's that movie? <laughs> um, copyright, copyright us, copyright um, us. <clears throat> all right. Uh, Join us as we ruin The Shining. Um, and it will always be the shinning in my mind from To me, it's Treehouse always going to be the shinning. Of horrors from Simpsons. If you haven't seen the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror Halloween episode where they do um, a parody of The Shining called The Shinning, you, you should go find it and look it up now because it's truly the best. Um, all righty. So we begin with an incredible pan over the water of the Colorado River. And I immediately, again, I'll be absolutely honest, like, I'm not the biggest Kubrick fan. Like, I, I appreciate it, but it mm-hmm. just kind of never, it never, like, gets, grabs me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But from the beginning, you just, enjoy, you appreciate the scene he's setting. So you're getting these, these gorgeous mountaintops and these trees, and we're following a little Volkswagen Beetle, a yellow mm-hmm. Volkswagen Beetle as it trundles up these beautiful autumnal mountains um, to this terrifying uh, synth music. Uh, the music is by uh, Rachel Elkind, and then also Wendy Carlos. And Wendy I Carlos, love that it's women, absolutely two women. And Wendy Very cool. Wendy Carlos is uh, at least when I became queer and began reading about my own history. Uh, a name that kept coming up is Wendy Carlos because she's a trans woman who is like this seminal figure in Amazing. electronic music. And cool. my parents had her first album she did, which is Switched on Bach. So it's like Bach music on a synthesizer and sort of like helped synth music become really big in the 70s. Mm. And I just wanted to shout them out because like it is the music. Like you said, it's the vibe. It is as much the music, I would say, as any of the performances. The music mm-hmm. is incredible, makes the film. And then also it makes you notice in other movies where they don't have that kind of attention paid. You yes. Know. Um, I also love that the, we see the credits rolling over these, like, again, credible views mm-hmm. of the Rocky Mountains. The credits are light blue, and when you see the title goes by, it's the exact same font and size as all the, yeah. all the, author, uh, the actors' names. And I was like, yes. what an interesting choice yeah. to do that. Um, and uh, shout out uh, uh, to Stanley Kubrick for that. So we arrive finally at the stately Overlook Hotel, snuggled in the lap of the Rocky Mountains. And we, are, we get certain uh, segment titles. We're entering a new section of the film. And on the screen, we see the words, the interview. And we see Jack Torrance, played by Jack Nicholson. He's arriving to interview to be the winter caretaker uh, for the Overlook Hotel. He's meeting with Mr. Ullman, who is the hotel's general manager. And we meet his secretary, Susie. And they call in Bill Watson, one of the other managers of the hotel. Also, all the colors in this movie are so incredibly vivid it's and so vibrant. Good. And again, if it was just a fucking Holiday Inn, if it was like what a, a win, you know, in 1980, what would it look like? <laughs> yeah. A totally different film, right? Um, but everything is beautifully done. This came out in 1980, so like it's all like late 70s, like saturated colors. Uh, mm. Mr. Ullman's uh, office is a bright coral color. It's like, ooh, coral for an office. Yes. It's so good. It's so visually good. And like, I remember there's even like a, there's inconsistencies in this scene with like 
uh, you like cut and it's like the window, like allegedly like somebody like looked at like where the window would be in the floor plan of the hotel and like sunlight technically couldn't even come in that way. And it's like, is this even real? And it's like, I don't know. That's like a stretch. Yes. And <laughs> but we'll, maybe not. Well, and we'll talk about those theories. Absolutely. Because yeah. I think I have a very strong feeling about all of those theories having mm-hmm. seen this movie again. So uh, while uh, Jack is meeting with um, the managers of the Overlook, we see his family back home in Boulder. Uh, which we find out is about three and a half hour drive from the Overlook, and we meet his little son Danny. I'm gonna say Danny in a movie ever is seven because I don't. I'm getting with really bad with kids' ages, and we also meet his mother Wendy, who's played by the incredible Shelley Duvall. Icon, and they're just chilling. She's constantly smoking inside around her child. Again, very Different late 70s, early 80s, <laughs> um, and they're hanging out. And Danny says to his mother, "Do you really want to go live in that hotel for the winter?" And, you know, it's sort of like, if he was a little bit younger, I think he would just think this is like a fun adventure. And now he's old enough, he's like, we got to go somewhere else now. Yeah. And we find out that they had just recently moved to the area three months ago from Vermont. So they're also new to this house. So I understand not wanting to be destabilized. Mm-hmm. Um, we also find out that Dave, uh, Dane doesn't have friends yet because there aren't really a lot of friends mm-hmm. in his area And obviously they're about to go away for the winter, which I did wonder, like, is he, he seems old enough to be in school. He's certainly old enough to be in kindergarten or first grade. Um, It's never addressed. Uh, No one ever brings it up. I guess, hey, it was a a 70s slash 80s, you know. Um, And he's saying, like, oh, there's not a lot of kids around here anyways. I guess it's okay. But Wendy's really hyped. She's trying to sell him on the Overlook. Yeah. And he said, she says, you know, I bet Tony's looking forward to the hotel. And Danny holds up his finger, and we meet his imaginary friend, mm. Tony. And so he says in Tony's voice, oh, I ate Mrs. Torres. <laughs> and so whenever you hear that voice, you know that it's Tony. And Tony yeah. is represented, manifest on screen by Danny wiggling his finger. And we're also going to find out more about Tony as the movie goes on. But when- We do? Yeah, of course. Well, right. just like what he is or how he conceives <laughs> yeah. of him or, and perhaps the information Tony provides him. This, yes. that, not like what Tony is or why his name is Tony. We don't know that, but it's something yeah. a child would name a, a, a conversation that Danny's having with himself and Tony is now speaking to his mother and being honest about, like, mm-hmm. I don't want to go. Yeah. And I always like that Wendy talks to Tony like a person. Like, listen, Tony. It's sweet. I'm telling you we're going to have a great time. Tony, you have nothing to worry about. And Tony calls her Mrs. Torrance, which I think is very it's sweet. so funny. Like, he's Danny's, like, friend from school. Yes. Um, so back at the Overlook, um, Bill Watson joins them, and they give Jack the rundown. So season ends October 30th. They reopen May 15th. He would be re- obligated to start May 30th. Like, they would have to arrive, and then they're there till May 1st. Like, May 1st, the crew will arrive. They have two weeks to sort of get things back up for the summer season. And Jack asked, which I also immediately thought was, so can I ask why you close? Because the skiing up here must be insane. Like, I I just imagine that you would make a lot of money. Right. And uh, Ullman says, yes, that's obviously a question we're constantly asked, but we are so remote. There's a 25-mile stretch of road between us and the next town, which is Sidewinder. And there, you get an average of 20 feet of snow in the winter. It's just so prohibitively expensive to keep the road maintained. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, like, you know, it was open before. Uh, it was built, started being built in uh, 1907. It was completed in 1909. And winter sports were not popular yet. Yeah. So it really was designed to be, like, it's secluded. It's The views are incredible. But it's not about skiing because it sort of predates yeah. skiing as a rich person sport. 
Um, we also find out that Jack used to be a school teacher and has left to work on his writing. So you can imagine he is thrilled at all the writing he's going to get done with five months. Because yeah, that's a five problem. months being totally alone. And or also, with, like, you know, your wife and kid, and like otherwise, yeah, more or less alone. And I would say, and it could just be my, well, what I could see was my ADHD, but like the idea of five months with nothing in it would actually be like hell to me. I needed a lot of structure to get yeah. writing done. I need like I, a bunch of things set up, you know. I need to have like other stuff going on yeah. so that there are only kind of carved out like times for writing. Yeah, you create otherwise, deadlines. Yeah, when I like, I, like if I have a bunch of things to do, I'll do all of them. Mm-hmm. If I have one thing to do, I'll never oh. do it because there's yeah. too much unstructured time. A hundred percent. So, but Jack has convinced himself, no, I'm going to be working on my novel. I'm going to let uh, writing done. And Ullman basically says, okay, great. So you'll have to basically do a cycle of maintenance in the hotel to prevent the elements. So he's saying the, the winters are brutal up here. And if we don't monitor the hotel, it starts to get damaged over time. So like, if there's an avalanche, there's nothing you can do about it. If, like, right. part of, you know, the roof comes off, that we'd have to address immediately. So you'll just have mm-hmm. to check everything, run the boiler, run the hot water through the pipes to make sure everything freezes. But it's not a hard job. It's just, like, you just have to do it consistently. And uh, Ullman tells him, honestly, the, the hardest part about this for a lot of people that we've had in the past is the solitude and isolation. Because for most yeah. people, they think, oh, it's going to be great. It's actually really hard to be stranded up here, even if you think, well, we have everything we need. But Jack, of course, you know, says, no, no, this is perfect. I'm outlining a new writing project, five months of isolation. This is going to be incredible. No. Um, and Noma says, before I let Watson here give you a sort of rundown of the hotel, I want to be candid with you about something. Did they mention, when you were talking to our people in Boulder who referred you, did they mention the tragedy that happened in the winter of 1970? Allison, do you remember what that tragedy was? No. <laughs> I didn't think you would. <laughs> like, I'm, like, wrapped with attention. I'm like, what's the tragedy? And this is why— I've seen this movie at least twice. This is the genius of this podcast. Well, Allison. And Jack, of course, is like, no, no, I don't think anyone mentioned the tragedy. tragedy. Yeah, I think I'd remember the tragedy. And Omen says, well, you see, unfortunately, your predecessor, Charles Grady, came up to the Overlook to be the caretaker with his wife and two daughters uh, for the winter— um, we don't know exactly what happened. We we suspect he got cabin fever, which in the movie has talked about like it's a diagnosable illness. And um, unfortunately, he did kill his family with an axe, stacked their bodies in a room in the West Wing, and put both barrels of a shotgun in his mouth. And I heard that. I said, it would be hard to put one barrel. Just to have just the one, you put one barrel outside. That seems like yep. very complicated. Um, Jack says, well, it's quite a story. My wife will be fascinated. She's a confirmed ghost story and horror movie addict, which I think oh. is really interesting to have her be the ghost person. Um, but yes. perhaps perhaps she is a little more suspicious of the hotel uh, early enough, you know. Um, back at home, we see Danny brushing his teeth and arguing with Tony in the bathroom mirror. And um, what are they arguing about? You know, we'll get into. Jack calls to confirm with Wendy. He got the gig. He's going to be back late. And uh, Danny asks Tony in the mirror, why do you want to go to the hotel, Tony? And Tony says, I don't know, Danny. And Danny says, I bet you do know, so just tell me. So then we get our first glimpse of Danny's, um, what it will be, we'll find out, is called The Shining. So sort of his classic Stephen King psychic ability, something that he's little, so it's like, how would you even know what to call that or what it is? 
Right. And he also gets, um, he's getting information that is not literal. So we see, when he asks Tony, just tell me what you're worried about. We see a vision, the classic image from this movie, of red elevator doors opening and a tidal wave of blood pouring out in slow motion. Yes. And we also, I love when mm-hmm. people use that photo <laughs> in a meme about periods. Absolutely. And we've all <laughs> It's my favorite thing. <laughs> I'm 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 I, I feel like that's my weekend basically yeah. is uh, the elevator <laughs> doors are going to open. Um and we then see a flash of two little girls in blue dresses holding hands and we see Danny's silent screaming face. In reality, Danny has collapsed and his mother panic calls a doctor to come visit. And the doctor then talks to Danny about what was happening right before the incident, you know, right before he he collapsed. Um, and they never use the word seizure, but it's sort of like what something happened yeah. that seems to be medical enough to call a doctor. Yes. Um, he tells her, I was talking to Tony. He's the little boy that lives in my mouth. And the doctor says, well, can I see Tony? And he goes, no, no, I'm sorry, Tony. He goes and hides in my stomach, so you won't be able to see it. Which just seems like it's like a kid would say. It's like, sure. Yeah. That makes sense. And the doctor says, does Tony ever tell you to do things? And Danny, Danny blanches and says, I don't want to talk about Tony anymore. Mm-hmm. So they leave Danny to go sleep. And uh, Wendy and the doctor go talk in the living room. And the doctor, the doctor's basically like, he seems fine. These children have these episodes all the time. And then she says, it's kind of like auto-hypnosis. You know, they sort of convince themselves and they go into this. I'm like, what are we talking about? Also, like, I w- I'd be like, now we're going to go somewhere where, like, exactly. there's a 25-mile road that's inaccessible if there's, like, yeah. another episode of this. Exactly. And I do think this is when we're, we first get, like, Wendy is in real denial. And if you're not clear what level of denial about everything yeah. in her life, uh, she's about to tell the doctor uh, sort of a incident that will inform the rest of the movie. Um, and the doctor's sort of like, so much about Tony, you know, his imaginary friend. Did that happen when you moved here? Thinking, you know, okay, maybe he doesn't have friends yet, so Tony right. is, you know, his friend. And he says, no, Tony's been around since he was in nursery school, like probably three years ago. Um, you know, he really struggled with the adjustment to going into nursery school, and then he, he had his injury. He uh, dislocated his shoulder. And the doctor's like, well, because he would have been like a baby, you know, or not yeah. a baby, but he would have been really— or Like a toddler. Yeah. Like, how did he manage to do that? And Wendy tells the doctor, it was totally an accident. My husband came home drunk, and he was three hours late, so you could, you know he was really upset. And he had a, a bunch of papers all over the place, and Danny was playing with them. And so he grabs Danny's arm, and he just, it could have happened. It was just one of those things. He used too much strength, and he pulled Danny's arm out of the socket. And we go to the doctor, who says nothing, but is clearly horrified. And Wendy says... Mm-hmm. Don't worry, you know, Jack told me, Wendy, I'm not going to drink anymore. And, um, you know, if I do, you could leave me. And he hasn't had a drop of alcohol in five months. So just hearing that, it's like the incident actually happened years ago. Right. So the idea he hasn't drank in five months, it's like, okay, so we're right. leaving a gap of that. And then yes. also I think, like, the doctor isn't saying anything. Where it's like, I, I imagine a doctor now would at least open the door to saying to the parent, that's not yes. good. Yes. But because yes. it's the late 70s, it's like, oh, You're sure, like, right. I guess. And Why it's like, not? okay, great. So that was a time where the doctor could have said something. Um, everyone is in denial. about, and, and as a result, it's sort of you see how we're hurtling into this situation. Somebody who has this, um, an abusive, I don't know what you call it, but a, a, te- a abusive tendency, the, ca- mm-hmm. the capability of abuse while drunk. 
And now we're going to isolate that person with his family for five months, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, text on the screen, closing day. And again, we see the yellow beetle traveling throughout the Rockies, this time with the whole family. And uh, we see every interaction Danny has with Jack is awkward and uncomfortable. And so Danny says, Dad, I'm hungry. And Jack's like, well, you should have eaten your breakfast. And that's pretty much the warmest interaction they have or the most Mm. human interaction they have throughout the film. And Wendy says, well, did the Donner party happen out here? And Jack says, oh, you know, it's actually uh, further west in the Sierra um, Madres, Sierra Nevadas. You know, I don't know my my mountains. Um, Yeah, Sierra Madres. and so, of course, Daddy says, as any child would, what's the Donner Party? And Jack explains they were a group of uh, settlers. They got trapped for the winter, and they had to eat each other to survive. And Wendy started chiding him, like, don't tell him about that. Yeah, well, he doesn't need to know about that. But Daddy says, don't worry, Mom. I know all about cannibalism from TV, which I'm sure is where I heard about it for the first time. Yeah. Like some cartoon or whatever. Arriving at the hotel, um, Ullman and Watson take Wendy and Jack throughout the hotel to get them set up. And it's also like most of the guests have left, but there are some stragglers. And then the crew and the staff, you know, the wait staff, all the bellhops, they're all leaving that day as well. So everyone is headed out, which does sound like a cool life. If you had a second place to go, I'm like, ooh, to be there for all summer, then you get to go somewhere warm with for the winter. For the winter. Um, And Danny goes to the games room where he's playing darts. Um, so Wendy and Jack are being walked through the Colorado room, this gigantic, beautiful room with a stained glass. They tell her, oh, it's based on Navajo and Apache motifs. Stunning. And of course, Wendy is in love. She's like, oh, because it's like romantic and and beautiful and yeah. And in theory, to be living somewhere like that for months and not have like other responsibilities and that like it is appealing. Yes, absolutely. You know, in practice, it's a nightmare, even if it's not this, you know what I mean? Like even just like the boredom. Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like at first very, very kind of like, yeah, it's thrilling. It's like a fun adventure we're going on. Um, and Ulm says, yeah, you know, after it was built in the 20s, it sort of became a destination for the jet set. You know, celebrities, we're talking royalty. They all came up here mm-hmm. as this, like, oh, now to go to these kinds of things in the Rockies is sort of um, in fashion. Yes. In the games room, Danny, as he's playing darts, turns around to see the two girls in blue from his vision. And they turn around hand in hand and they walk out the door. Danny is a little too young. He's like the, the, the age of being like, if he was a little bit younger, he would tell his parents. If he was a little bit older, mm-hmm. he might be able to know like this is not real. But yeah, he's right yeah, at this yeah. age where he's like, huh. Yeah. I don't know kind what to do with that. Area. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Just kind of move on, I guess. Yeah. Like <laughs> I just accept that these gals are here. I saw my dream. Yeah. Um, outside, Ullman shows them the famous hedge, mate, hedge, hedge maze, sort of the other set piece from the film. Yes. He said it's one of the main draws of the Overlook. It's got 13-foot-high uh, shrubbery that's Have original. Have you ever done one? I've done a bunch of corn mazes that are yes. awesome. But I've yes. never done a hedge maze. What about you? Uh, yes, yeah, same. I think I've been around one hedge maze that was just very small. But, yeah, I haven't really. I'd love Corn to. mazes, yeah. I know. I would really like to just wander around in walls of green. I want to be, yeah, I, I want to be in a maze. That sounds fun. Yeah. I don't think that I would get as stressed out as, as. I think I I think I'd be cool with it. You know, I I'm sure I would panic, but I I it, unless there was like a time. I think here's when it would get mm-hmm. uh tricky. 
when I realized I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. That's when there's a stopwatch on it, and then it becomes a stressful situation. <laughs> um, this is just a, a sense memory that's coming to me, but one time my family and I we went to a— um, a pirate-themed corn maze that was, like, shaped okay. like a pirate ship. And for the first time, I had, uh, there's a kind of ice cream that was, like, local at the time called Black Maria. And I'm trying to remember what flavor it was. It was probably just, like, black cherry or something. I remember yeah, being yeah. like, that's cool as hell. All right, well, I can't find it right now. But it was probably just some local thing. And I was like, yeah. what a day. What a day I've had as a child <laughs> um, to be in a maze and have ice cream. Um, and there's actually ice cream in this film as well. Um, Ullman tells them, you know, sort of, oh, here's where you, okay. So Ullman's, again, giving the rundown. They're walking around outside. We're seeing everyone pack up and leave. And he says, you know, actually, during the building, which, again, was from 1907 to 1909, this was actually built on an ancient Indian burial ground. And they actually had to fend off several Indian attacks to build it. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, not great. Not great. Not not great. And uh, he also shows them the snow cat, which is sort of a snow... M- machine on caterpillar treads. Mm-hmm. So the idea is like, it's actually really easy to use. It's like you drive it like a car, but it, say you're snowed in, you could drive on top of snow and you could get out of yeah. here. Um, he takes them inside. He shows them a recently redone wing. So all of these, the stuff we're seeing is like their recently redone wing, which is why it looks so acutely 70s, which mm-hmm. I like too, because like, yeah, why would this ancient hotel look so- Have a 70s vibe, Yeah. It's so good. Like It's so good. The new wing, it's got pink and gold with a gold ballroom. So it's incredible pink and gold, pattern everything, gorgeous 70s. And Ullman says, you know, um, you're obviously welcome to come to any of these rooms, but there actually is no booze on the premises. We take it off because then it lowers our insurance during the winter months. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jack says, don't worry, we don't drink. That won't be a problem for us. And they head to the mm-hmm. kitchen where they meet Dick Halloran, the head yes. chef of the Overlook Played by the illimitable Scatman Crothers, who immediately takes a shine to Danny when we see mm. he, uh, Susie, the secretary, brings Danny, and he was kind of wandering around looking for his parents. Ullman and Watson take Jack uh, and uh, to see the rest of the hotel, and Dick takes Wendy and Danny to the kitchen to sort of walk Wendy through, like, because everything's industrial. It's like gigantic cans, gigantic machinery, and he's like, don't worry, you don't have to actually use that part. Here, you'll just use this part and, like, use the food supplies we have already. Um, he takes him to the walk-in freezer, which is full of meat. And he starts talking to Danny, like, what's your favorite food? Do you want, you know, do you like lamb? And Danny says, um, I like French fries and ketchup. And Dick Aww. says, I bet. He's so cute. He's so cute. He's, so, he's like the cutest kid really I've ever is. seen in a movie. Like, yeah, he's adorable. And he's also great in this. I think he really does yeah. a great job. Um, and also the way baby. they dress, like his little overalls and his little sweaters. Yeah. Mm. Um, and Dick says, well, I bet we can come up with some of that, Doc. And when they leave the freezer, Wendy says, oh, that's funny. How do you know that we called him Doc? Like from Bugs Bunny. That's like our nickname for him. And Dick's like, huh, well, I probably heard you say it when we met or something. She's like, I don't think I I said it. I don't think I I said it. He's like, you know what? Doesn't he look like a Doc? He goes, what's up, Doc? And, you know, Danny's not a particularly playful boy, but, you know. No. They walk together. Dick takes them to the next room, which is like this uh, locked room. It's like dried canned packaged food. So it's like dried fruit. Again, everything they'll need for the months is is there. there it looks like they're not— they're I get not, so sick of—I mean, like, it yeah. makes me think of, like, early lockdown days when, like, there wasn't even, like, restaurant delivery in any way, and it was just, like, make every meal. <laughs> yeah, I was—I it really did became, become a bean expert, that we all had a bean moment. We all learned a lot about beans. Um— and we also, as he's go, he's walking through, we get this incredible 
um, sort of atonal wine starts. So it's like he's just walking them through the pantry and listing cereals and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's like this intense uh, dread that fills you as you hear the music. It's perfect. And we see Danny staring at Dick. And then Dick turns to him. And in his mind, Danny could hear Dick say, how do you like some ice cream, Doc? Again, Danny's a child. He doesn't know how to, what, what to do or how to react yes. to this. Um, and we, uh, Dick ends their tour with all the dried fruits. And he's like, I'm telling you, Wendy, you're up here for five months. You're going to want to eat some prunes if you want to stay happy. And I'm like, what happens if you get sick? I don't know. I'm just like already it's like. Just, there's just so many variables to being like the that remote breaks. for that yes. long. Um. Ullman and Watson comes back to, come back to collect Wendy, and Dick stays with Danny as they go off to check something out. And Dick uh, offers Danny, would you like to get some ice cream? And Danny said, I like chocolate. And while they're talking, Dick says, you know, when my grandma, when I was a boy, my grandma and I actually could have whole conversations without talking. And she called what we have shining. And for a long time, I thought it was just me and her who had it, just like you might think you're the only one who has it. But there actually are other people, and you'll meet them in your life. So how long do you, have you had this? And Danny says, I'm not supposed to talk about it. And Dick says, well, who told you that? Who said you can't talk? And Danny says, Tony. Mm. Dick, of course, like, oh, well, who's Tony? Danny replies, Tony is a little boy that lives in my mouth. He shows me things. It's like when I go to sleep, but then when I wake up, I don't remember. And so Dick sort of sees where he's going, and Dick goes, um, so did, uh, did Tony tell you anything about this place? Danny kind of tries to dodge the question because obviously, yes, he's, we saw the, the yeah, blood yeah, elevators. Yes. And he says, which I also think this is the more important question. It's like, he says, are you scared of the hotel? As like an adult man with The Shining. Yeah. And Dick says, no, I'm not. But places are like people. Some shine and some, some don't. And the Overlook has something like shining. Basically, like something is going on here. Mm-hmm. It, you don't have to be afraid of it, but you, it is there. And then Danny basically like, you cut the shit. Is there something bad here? Yeah. And he's like, You know, Doc, when something happens, it can leave a trace of itself behind. Say, like, if someone burns toast. You know, sometimes your shine lets you see things that haven't happened yet, but then it could also show you things that have happened in the past. Mm. And Danny asks, Well, so what about room 237? You're scared of it, ain't ya? And, of course, Dick is like, no, I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. It's scared as I don't know. But Danny says, what's in room 237? And Dick tells him there's nothing there, and there's no reason to go there, and there's nothing in there for you. Allison, at this Not point. Not the right answer. Yeah. <laughs> at this point, Allison, what would you do? What would you do? I mean, we're not staying there. Like, I'm not staying. I, I'm going The whole thing from Jump is bad. I think what's hard about this conversation is because Dick isn't specific, if I'm Danny, I am going to mm. go in the room. You have to of tell, especially a child. you got to be really specific. Yeah. I would go in the room if I were him. Yes. Like, I, like, there is, there is, like, Danny knows, like, there's plenty to be afraid of in this place. Yeah. And, like, I, he should be, like, telling his mom there's some stuff going on. Because, yeah. like, even then, like, if she's like, okay, something medical is going on with yes. you, like, we can't stay here for five months away from doctors. Well, and like, that's the other thing. It's like, yeah, he just had this medical situation. Yeah, like, whatever, you know, the, the time period was. But, like, he just had this, and you're taking him up here. If he were to say something about it, I, I would hope 
perhaps that she would listen to him. But again, Wendy is so committed to mm-hmm. the idea of her family, right? Yes. Like she has convinced herself, again, constantly chasing the approval and happiness of her abusive partner. Like yes. that we'll go up here and everything will be fine. It's like, well, it wasn't fine anywhere else. I don't know why this extremely weird and difficult emotional situation would bring out the best in him, right? Yes. Right, um, this isn't where, like, the change happens where it's like, this is the partner I've been waiting for yes. our whole relationship. It's like, no, it's only going to get worse. Yes, and unfortunately, similarly, you know, Jack is sort of committed to this idea of himself as a writer. You know, we'll see where that takes him, obviously. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Start clean with Clorox. Because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Oh, my charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. The next morning, the Torrances wake up, and they're the only people left in the hotel. And this day would be fun. The first day where you realize it's just us. The first day would be great. Um, and we see Wendy wheel a breakfast cart, and like a, she made like a fabulous, elaborate breakfast, and like wheel it up to their, they have a full suite. So sort of like, we see the parents' bedroom, a little like living room area, and then the other side of the living room is Danny's room. So full suite, and that's the only wing that's heated, but they can go anywhere. It's just like the, the wing. It won't all be warm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so we see her preparing and then taking breakfast off, and we see Danny is furiously pedaling his tricycle through the first floor, whipping It would be so fun to be a kid and be able to ride your bike around inside. Yeah. It would be so, like, I was just, I remember I was, like, thinking that. I was like, oh, I would have loved that as a child. Yes, absolutely thrilling. Something you could never do anywhere else. And he's just, like, whipping through the Colorado room, whipping through the kitchen, And Wendy and Jack sit down and eat. And this is, like, again, every interaction we have, see Jack have with his family, his back is up. He's so on edge. He's so, he's already nasty in this interaction. Like, he's just, like, rolling his eyes and sighing. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, your wife made you breakfast? Like, and then asked you to go for a walk outside of this beautiful environment that you're in? And his thing is like, no, I'm really got to get started on my writing. You know, this is all... About my writing. And she's... Like, ease in. Yeah. Right. You're going to be here for five months. You Day one, take, you have five months. Right. Take a whole week and, and, right. and really enjoy yourself. And, but Spend no, time with your family. He's got to get in, into the into the habit. And Wendy and him, you know, honestly, when we showed up, I was kind of scared. Like, this is like a very... There's something about this place. And did you feel that? And Jack says, you know, I didn't. I had this intense deja vu. I felt like I had been here before. I feel like I had been, I knew it was around every corner. I love this place. It's like, oh, okay. That's that's fine, I suppose. Cut to, of course, Jack in the Colorado room. And we see his paper strewn around. He's not writing at all. And he's just furiously bouncing a rubber ball hard against the wall. 
Um, but Wendy and Danny at least go have fun. So they go out to the hedge maze and we see them, you know, they see these like, they're having fun and then these like amazing high anxiety synths come in. So it's like mm-hmm. they're playing and having fun and then it's like as we're watching it, like we're panicking for them. Excellent, excellent work. Yes. Right, like they don't know they should be nervous, but we yes. know they should be nervous. And we get which this, is always a very unsettling vibe. We get this incredible uh, shot of Jack finding a scale model of the hedge maze and him looking down into it. And then from, you know, we see a... a a overhead shot of the actual hedge maze where we see Wendy and Danny arrive in the center of the maze. So sort of they, mm. they won and now they have to get back out. He's analyzing them within the maze. Mm. Text on the screen. Now it's Tuesday and I love how it, that doesn't matter. Like the, the days have, are, have no meaning. There's right. no, we're not racing towards anything until the very end, like things sort of pick up. But it's like, right. it doesn't, the Tuesday is for us. The Tuesday to them has, is meaningless. It means right? nothing. Um, in the kitchen, we see that Wendy is uh, putting lunch together. She's opening a gigantic can of fruit cocktail and pouring it into a gigantic bowl. I was like, is that all the lunch? Like, that's so much fruit cocktail to put in a bowl. Yeah. Um, and she has the TV on. There's like a little, there's a lot of TVs. This one's on a wheelie cart, presumably for the staff. And uh, we find out that there's uh, there's a Aspen woman that's been missing for 10 days and they're concerned because there's a huge storm rolling across Colorado. So a huge blizzard is about to slam into their area, right? Meanwhile, we see again Danny is riding his tricycle around and stops. Mm. And when he does, he looks up and realizes that he has just passed room, room. 237. Yeah. Danny tentatively gets off his trike and he approaches the door. Allison, do you remember what's inside the door? No. Well, he, it's locked, so he doesn't get it open. So that was actually okay. a trick question. That's okay, So you were fine. You. He does, however, get another flash of the two little girls in blue standing in the hallway, smiling at him. And uh, again, he's like, well, let's, I guess they live here. That's fine. Yeah, we got some roommates. Uh, in the evening, we're back in the Colorado room, and Jack is furiously typing away on his typewriter in the beautiful nighttime lamplight. Like, oh, what a great, I would love to write in that space, in that light and Wendy yeah. comes in, and she is unflaggingly cheerful in a way that, like, immediately grates on him. Yes. Now, it might be grating, but also you are forcing her to do this by being right. an asshole the, all the time, right? Also, you've, you forced her to come here. She has nothing else to do. He treats everything his wife does like it is a huge imposition, when in fact, yes. she's the one who ends up doing all the work. Like, she's the one who's, like, checking the boiler, checking the, the fuse box. like she's Parenting actually, their child. Parenting. She's doing, cooking the meals. She's doing all the work, and you are so mad that she dares come in to come talk when to you. When you're writing. And she says, you know, the weather report says it's going to snow. And Jack goes, oh, well, what do you want me to do about it? It's like, oh, my I'm God. just saying. Uh, and I brought this up on the podcast before, but uh, I always think of the thing, uh, This I think it's called the Gottman Institute. And it's like, how do you know? Their thing is, is your, mar- is your relationship going to last? I actually think that's the wrong question. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, having had the relationship I've had, the question is, is your relationship good? It doesn't matter if it's last. Like, right. people could have horrible marriages and die in them. Is a relationship good? And the test there is when somebody gives entreats you, like invites you to like look at something or talk about something, do you say, oh, okay, well, that's thank you for telling me. Or you go, oh my God, you yeah. come in here and you interrupt my writing. And it's like she's actually telling you useful information that a blizzard's hitting you. 
And you're taking it like such an offense. But again, Wendy's trying to keep it light. She's obviously been keeping it light with this man for years. Keep it light. Keep it fun. She's like, well, don't be so grouchy. And again, she has a level of delusion and cheerfulness. She's trying to will this to be something good when we all know watching this that we're hurtling towards something bad. Um, And he says, I'm not being grouchy. I want to finish my work. And she's like, well, you know, maybe later I could bring by some sandwiches and maybe I could read something. Again, doing her best to be a supportive spouse. And he goes, every time you come in here, you break my concentration. And then he rips up the paper he was writing on. He's like, if you hear me in here writing, no, if you hear me in here doing anything, do not interrupt me. And she's kind of shocked, but she's like, okay, I will Honestly, not do I'd that. Honestly, I'd grab the kid Fuck and get in the you, car bitch. and be like, we're heading to society. Like, yeah, come find us when you're done. It's too early in the game. We it's, it's not the last week where we're screaming. Right. Last yeah, week if is going to be tough. Yeah, if you were four months into a five month stay and everybody was kind of like on edge in that way, I'd be like, I get it. We've been here for a minute, but like, the, right. we're like a week or two. I mean, it's, it's Tuesday, like, bitch. We just got here. Yeah. Um, and so she le- and she's he and she's like, well, sorry, going for it. I'll do that. And he goes, how about we start right now and you get the fuck out of here. And Wendy leaves, again, kind of shocked. But, again, that does seem like the kind of person he was. And this is why, also, I've noted, like, this is how, obviously, it's Stephen King critiquing that in himself. Which Mm -hmm. is, like, I'm sure there's a million interactions where he is. And I appreciate, as a writer, that self-awareness of, like, it is selfish to make, like, you, sh- you what you're doing should not dominate your family's life, and you should yes. not be taking it out on them. But I do think as a writer, it's like I have a selfishness to me that I have to be mm-hmm. aware of. And mm-hmm. let's just say, if I were to take it out of my wife, I do hope what would happen in this movie would happen to me because I would deserve it, right? Yes. Um, text on the screen. It's Thursday now. It's two days later, and the blizzard has hit. We see Wendy and Danny running around. It looks super fun. Huge snow drifts. More mm-hmm. snow coming down. And we see the first shot of like, okay, so things are taking a perhaps even worse turn with Jack. We see him staring in that classic Jack Nicholson, like head mm. down, eyes up, mouth I mean, agape. Brilliant casting. Yeah. Um, mouth agape. Though I will, I have critiques of his actual acting in this, we'll get into. But his his look is He's so terrifying. like, yes. This is a scary man yes. like, who is not. Because he feels so volatile, right? And that yes. part, I think, is is he's playing that really well. Then we yeah. cut to Saturday. It's a full blizzard. You can barely see the hotel, you know, from the road. Um, Jack's typing away. And Wendy goes over to the switchboard for the hotel and realizes the phone lines are down. Also, all of her looks are so cute. They're so 70s. Yes. She has, like, a bright jacket on with a scarf and clogs mm. and jeans. Um, I would just be wearing sweatpants for five months, but I support her looking yeah. chic. So she goes over, and they have a uh, radio in uh, Mr. Ullman's office that she can phone the Forest Service. So she phones the Forest Service. They answer and say, yes, the phone lines are down. And she says, well, how long does it usually take to repair something like that? And they're like, honestly, it sometimes stays down, stays down until spring because if we repair them, they get knocked down again. It's just going to snow again, right? Yeah. Um, and I, but we're saying, honestly, this is the, first, the worst snow we've had in ages, so it's going to be a long time. But they said, now that the phones are down, just leave your radio on so that we could always reach you. You could always reach us. So this, going forward, this will be our contact to the outside world. She can call the Forest Service, at least. Um, We catch up with Danny, who again is riding his trike around another wing of the hotel. And he comes to a dead end. And in that dead end are the two girls in blue who say, hello, Danny. Come and play with with us us. forever and ever and ever. 
Danny screams, and then, of course, his shining gives him a glimpse of the past, and we see the girl's butchered bodies on the floor, blood everywhere, and an axe lying next to them. Presumably, they were the daughters of the previous caregiver, Charles Grady. Danny covers his eyes in a panic, and when he looks up, they're, of course, gone. Danny then relies on Tony. And it's like, Tony makes sense. Is like, you need someone to talk about this, even as a child. So yes. It's like, I got to talk to Tony about this. I, I can't be. At least get Tony in here and be like, what are we talking about here? Get, get Tony on the horn. And he get tells Tony, Tony I'm really scared. And Tony says, remember what Mr. Halloran said. They're just like pictures in a book. They're not real. That's actually the opposite of what Dr. Yeah. Mr. Hallerhead said. Yeah, that wasn't the message, Tony. Mr. Hallerhead said, actually, you can see the past, the future, and sense things that other people cannot, all of which add up to is that probably, those ghosts are real. But yes. he's little, so we don't know. We don't. Right, I know. Little Danny. Text on the screen, Allison, it is Monday. Uh, we're Danny, a weekend. Uh, we're a weekend, exactly. So things, you know, let's just say we're not making it to five months, right? No. Um, Danny and Wendy, they watch TV while the snow comes down. And Danny says, can I go to my room and get my fire engine? And because they're kind of uh, in a separate area. I couldn't tell if they were in the living room of the suite or if they were in a different room entirely. But either Mm -hmm. way, clearly Wendy is trying to keep Danny away from Jack when he's like this. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. he is always like this. Uh, Wendy says, don't get it. Your dad's asleep. He just went to bed a few hours ago. He was up all night writing. And Danny begs her. He's like, please let me get my fire truck. And she says, okay, but you have to be quiet and really don't make a sound. I don't want you waking up. When he gets back to the suite, he looks and his dad's just sitting silently at the end of the bed, at the edge of the bed. And he calls Danny over and Danny's like, oh God, clearly. Yeah. And here's the thing is like, Danny's, perhaps his first memories of his drunken father dislocating his shoulder. Now, I think we have some idea of like, that would be very traumatic. So then his interactions with his father yes. are very stilted, and he's clearly scared of his father, who, understandably, who he's presumably seen fly into a drunken rage at his mother a lot. Mm-hmm. And he sort of, like, takes Danny and sets him on his knee, and it's so awkward. He, like, hugs him in this way that's, like, you know, you can see Danny uh, tense up, and he says, how's it going, Doc? And Danny's like, uh, it really is, like, the shock of suddenly his father seems affectionate, yeah. right? Like, oh, what, yeah. what is that This would mean? be jarring. Yeah. And Danny says, Dad, do you feel bad? Jack's like, no, I'm just a little tired. And Danny says, well, why don't you go to sleep? And Jack says, I can't. I have too much to do. Allison, he's got so much writing. And Danny says, Dad, do you like this hotel? And Jack says, I do. I love it. I wish we could stay here forever and ever and ever. Which, of course, Danny had just talked to the ghost. He's like, oh, no. And they're like, hang out with us forever. It's like, that's not good. And Danny says, you would never hurt mom and me, would you? Jack's like, what do you mean? Did your mother say that to you? Dude, he lives with you. Like The answer is like, what no. Do you, what do you mean? Like, he sees how Same. you are in the world. His mother didn't have to tell him that you're, there's something right. going on. Also, just say no. I would never hurt you. Like, like, just say no. Exactly. What do you mean? Say, what do you no, think I, would I mean? Nev- what? I would never hurt you. It's like, yes. that's the answer. Anything besides that is an admission of, I'm going to hurt you. Yeah, what do you mean? I don't know, Dad. I guess that, like, well, that's the answer, I suppose. Well, I guess now you're going to hurt me. Yeah. And he's like, I would never hurt you. And this also reminds me of Hereditary, because I also think there's this through line of, like, parents not really, not willing or, nor being able mm. to take ownership of anything and needing to sort of project it on their family. Allison, it is now Wednesday. 
More blizzard, more blizzard, 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 blizzard. The blizzard continues. And it is beautiful, and I do miss snow. But I, mean, I love snow. They are obviously getting more and more cut off from the world. Um, we see Danny playing trucks on the iconic red, brown, and orange carpet uh, from the film, which I feel like is on is on everything if you're yes. a horror fan. And a ball rolls over to him. He looks up. There's no one there. But he sees the door of room 237 is open with the hotel key in the door. Mm. Meanwhile, we see Wendy in the, like, control room. She's, like, checking the fuse. <laughs> like, the, she's doing the actual fucking maintenance work for her right, husband. Right, the job that he signed up to do. Um, and I do think they should be doing, like, at least reading books with their son. I mean, like, and there should be some sort of educational element, but, you know, again. Something, but it's like, go ride your bike. Uh, meanwhile, um, so she's there, and she starts to hear Jack screaming from the Colorado room. She runs up there, presuming the worst, of course, and finds him asleep, his head on the table, shrieking in his sleep. She wakes him up, and he's, he's panicking and sort of slobbering and crying. He said, oh, I had the most awful dream. Allison, do you remember what Jack's dream was? Mm, was it about snow? Mm-mm. Oh. Nope. That's my, <laughs> that's my gal. <laughs> no clue. He tells her, I dreamed that I killed you and Danny. But oh. I didn't. Oh, yeah. That I sounds didn't familiar. just kill you. I chopped them up. I chopped you up into little pieces. And he sobs, I must be losing my mind. And this again is sort of like, Wendy, this is not on you, girl. We're not victim blaming. At this point, it's pretty clear he is. But again, yes. they are in this abusive relationship where she's in total denial and is like, it's going to be fine. There's no evidence or reason to suggest that. And he is losing his mind and is telling her, and it doesn't matter because it's like no one in this situation can acknowledge reality, which is why it's like, oh, right, hereditary is in the proud yeah. tradition of uh, how human denial is the biggest horror of all. Danny walks in the room, and we're sort of following him from behind as he walks into the Colorado room. And Wendy calls him and says, go to your room, please go play, your dad's fine. But he sort of just walks robotically towards her and when she gets to him to go grab him, she sees that his sweater is torn, his neck is bruised, and he's sort of silent and scared. Mm. So, of course, she presumes, understandably, that Jack is the one who did this. Because who else yes. would have, right? Right. And she starts screaming at Jack, like, you did this to him, didn't you? How could you? And Jack just looks at her confused, and she grabs Danny up and runs up to the suite. Um, I'm going to say, give, this is my mother's problem with this movie that she always says. And I do feel like this scene coming up is also my problem with this movie is that. I think. Okay. What were you going to say? What do you think I'm going to say? Uh, is it the scene with like the guy and the mask in the room? Oh, no, no. That's later. This is the scene with the bartender. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. The problem I have with this is it's Jack Nicholson is at an 11 already. And we're yeah. not even halfway done. And I think I'm like, I've been really, we've been really slow building. And then we see, and the whole time I'm just like, it's Jack Nicholson. This is Jack Nicholson. It just takes you out of the movie. It, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, my yeah, critique yeah. of this particular moment. But we see him walk into this newly refurbished ballroom, the gold ballroom. And he sits at this beautiful illuminated bar and he puts his face in his hands and he goes, oh, I'd give my goddamn soul for just a glass of beer. And he lowers his hands and he breaks into this beautiful smile. And he says, hi, Lloyd. It's a little slow here tonight, isn't it? And we turn to see Lloyd, the bartender, a perfectly manicured bartender, say from the 1920s, in a burgundy tuxedo jacket. 
And he says to him, what would you like, Mr. Torrance? And Jack orders up a bottle of Jack, of course, a glass and ice, which Jack calls the white man's burden. Um, And he looks at his wallet. He's like, I'm sorry, I don't have cash. How's my credit here? Lloyd pours him a drink and says, your credit's just fine. And Jack says, I'm going to toast to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm it's caused me. And he takes a drink and his eyes literally roll back in his head. And I do miss drinking, so I, I, I sympathize yeah. with this. <laughs> um, and Lloyd said, oh, I hope it's not anything serious you've been, you've been going through. And Jack says, no, it's just a little problem with a sperm bank upstairs. Would it, wouldn't he be the sperm bank? She only yeah. had, she has much less sperm in her at any given than point than he you. He does. The sperm yeah. bank, Allison. And I guess look, it's like where he makes deposits. deposits. Oh. Ugh. Well, he'll get his in the end. Um, yep. Lloyd says, women, he can't live with them and he can't live without them. Jack's nodding, of course. He starts to drink and he said, you know, I never laid a hand on him. I wouldn't. I, I love that little son of a bitch. But that bitch, as long as I live, she'll never let me forget what happened. Okay, look, I did hurt him once, okay, but it was an accident. It was three years ago. And I think that it's like, this to me is such a pivotal role. And Jack Nicholson is giving the Joker. Like, I, yeah. to me, it's so big. It's so. It's really, yes. Like, I leave, because we're, again, we, it's, a, it's, a, it's over, um, it's almost two and a half hours long. Right. We, we got to get crazier a little bit later. But again, hey, that's, it was a, a choice. Mm-hmm. He's also, it's him trying to do, give a couple of like the folksy Stephen King lines, which do, yeah, 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 are yeah. a little clunky on the page even. So it's sort of like, his big performance with maybe lines that are more writerly than a person would say um, in a very specific Stephen King way. Uh, but he's like, no, it, I didn't hurt him. It was just a temporary loss of muscular coordination. Okay, a few extra foot pounds. Suddenly, Wendy comes in screaming, carrying a baseball bat, calling for Jack and said, there's someone else in the hotel with us. There's a crazy lady in one of the rooms and Danny said she tried to strangle him. And Jack says, are you out of your fucking mind? Like, can you just at least be like, all right, let's see. Yeah. Before you become a total asshole. Yeah, she says, no. He went upstairs. He saw the room. It was 237. And a crazy woman in the bathtub tried to strangle him. And Jack says, which room? Meanwhile, we get this incredible shot. We we find ourselves in Dick Halloran's uh, bedroom. Yes. Um which I love because he has two pieces, very large pieces of erotic art. And I'm like, mm-hmm. it just says so much about the character. More characters yes. should have erotic art or like just mm-hmm. the art on the walls. Again, in movies. Does a lot of work. Perhaps yeah. even movies we've done recently, perhaps the live show. It's like, there's not a piece of art on the wall. There's not a colorful curtain to be had. And right. this is like, this is his domain, right? And he's in bed on the sheets, fully dressed with his socks off. And it's like yes. feet on a little blanket. And he's watching the news. He's in Miami. For the winter, yes. he's he's having an incredible time, and it, both both photos are like nude, beautiful uh, paintings of women with afros yes. uh, against like a, a a bright red background, like very seventies yeah, yeah. gorgeous those, art for sure. Um, and as he's watching the news, they're like, "Oh my god, heat wave in Miami!" But luckily, we're not dealing with what the western uh, states are dealing with. There's a huge storm hitting all of Colorado, affecting the Rockies. All travel has been shut down. And the governor, governor is expected to declare a state of emergency. We then reverse on Dick, who's lying in bed, 
And of course, this intense synth whine starts in, and we see his eyes and his mouth drop open. Al said he's getting his shine on. You yeah. know what I mean? Just like the son of Miami. Shine on, you Dick Shiner. Crazy diamond. Um, and sort of like we see, like we are seeing, it is both through his eyes, and then we are also seeing Davy, Danny, sorry. We see Danny sort of seizing and salivating in his bed. And we see through Jack's eyes as he walks into room 237, which is so good. It has like purple and green carpet mm-hmm. with pink furniture, gold and light wood. It's so over the top. I I wish, we, I, I miss the 70s, having I not know. lived through them. I like, it was like nice when like there were bold choices yes. to make. Now everything looks point. the same. And I do feel like people, you know, it's like TikTok trends. Like, yes. I, I was just talking to my friends about like, it's like the corn stool, lavender wall, wiggly yes. mirror. And someone described yes. that as Avon Basic. And I think that's <gasps> funny because I also love that, but it is. Yeah. Like, it's like, cause as soon it's as Avon Basic. Because as soon as something becomes a trend, then it is like, it's everything, you know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, we see him walk through this uh, incredibly uh, beautiful hotel room. And through his eyes, we see him open the door to the bathroom, which is this beautiful pea green and marigold color. Yes. And we see him look and see a woman pulling back the shower curtain. She's sitting in the tub, pulls back the shower curtain, revealing a topless woman who stands up and starts to step out of the shower. She slowly walks to him and he goes to her. And what I think to me is like, I liked how this movie, it's like, you don't know anything about this woman. You have already you, you've already lost your mind. So it's like you're going to a woman, and and she is a woman who expects nothing of you. There's nothing to her. You could give her any personality, any meaning. She's not like your bitch wife, right? She's yes, she's right. a totally vacant, vessel. naked woman. She's a vessel for your you know desire. And she walks up. Of course, the woman goes to kiss him. Naturally, wraps her arms around him, and. They kiss, and when he comes up for air, he looks in the mirror behind her and sees that her body is two horrible things, Allison. One, rotting off, mm-hmm. and two, old. And I don't know which one's worse, okay? I a mean, literal corpse for a man, decay. probably old. Absolutely. And he's like, dear God, she's old. Also, her skin is coming off in sheets. And we see the woman floating a corpse in the bathtub, an, an, an old woman decaying. And he looks at the woman in his arms, and she did what I would perhaps do in this moment, which is start laughing hysterically as he realizes that she's old and her skin is rotting off, right? Um, He runs out. Is this real? I think the answer is no. I think that he's experiencing another spirit, an entity within the hotel, so it is real in as much as like his mind has been sort of open to the overlook. Like for me, Lloyd is the is the first signal of like he is now in communication with the hotel. Yes. But not in a way where it's like at least Danny seems to be understanding like the distinction between like I'm seeing these girls, but then also my mom and dad are real. Right. I think to where to think he no longer necessarily has that division if he ever did, right? He is now yeah. experiencing so this woman is real to him. Um, so of course he runs out and he takes the key and he locks the door um, after him. Um, in Miami, Dick Dick is the nicest man in the world, 
And I also think, you know, we've done movies before where it's sort of like uh, a black person who, uh, out of sheer good will, comes to the aid of white people and yes. has to be punished for it. But Dick is a good person. And so he starts to call the Overlook. Because, again, he's the Shining. He he doesn't—our implication is that he doesn't know exactly what's going to happen, but it isn't going to be good. But right? he knows it's bad. Yeah. Um, and so the phone lines are down. He's able to get in touch with the Forest Service eventually. Um, but in the meantime, Jack comes back to the suite and tells Wendy, you know, I didn't see anything in that room, which is just a lie. So we know yep. that he had this experience. And Wendy's like, are you sure it was the right room? Like, he has bruises on his neck. Somebody did this to him. And Jack says, you know, honestly, I think he did it to himself. And Wendy's like, well, why would he do that? I don't think that's possible. It's like, well, think about it. If his versions of events isn't true, that makes the most sense. Meanwhile, we see Danny in bed, eyes wide, horrified, and then he's written on the back of his door the word red rum. Mm-hmm. And when he says, okay, and finally she makes the point that you made earlier, Allison, where it's like, whatever the explanation is, we have to get him medical help. Because yes. if he did do this to himself, we need to get someone to talk, like that something is wrong and we need to have it figured out. If someone's right. here, we should also leave. So either way, yes. we should get Danny to a hospital or something. Yes, let's leave this place. Unfortunately, Jack, you know, he's so busy writing and he says, it's so fucking typical of you to make, pro- oh, sorry. It's just so fucking typical of you to make a problem just when I'm really getting into my work. I've let you fuck up my life for way too long, but I'm not going to let you fuck this up for me this time. Fine, you stay, we're going. <laughs> and that's why I think, like, I don't necessarily think this movie is particularly scary, but I do think it's an incredible rumination on, like, what an abusive person does, where it's yes. like, you he's unable to see that he is the one fucking up their lives. Yes. He needs to, it needs to be his wife, it needs to be a stupid kid, it needs to be anyone else. It's their fault. It's their fault that he's a failure, rather than being able to look within himself and deal is like, you are the one fucking up everyone's lives. So, of course, he storms out, and he goes down the kitchen, he starts throwing things around, and he hears some old-timey music playing, Allison. And when he gets down to the lobby, he sees sort of the detritus of a big New Year's Eve party. Or maybe not New Year's Eve, but some big party. Party. Balloons and tinsel, and he starts wandering through the lobby to the other wing, which is where the gold ballroom is. Back in Miami, we see Dick Halloran gets in touch with the Forest Service, and they say, yeah, the phone lines are down. He's like, could you please call up to the hotel? And obviously, he's not going to tell them The Shining. So he says, you know, right. there's a family with a little kid up there, and I just want to make sure they're okay in this storm, you know. And the guy says, no problem. Uh, I'll call up there. Give me a call back in like 20 minutes, and I'll, I'll, you know, call them in the meantime. Jack goes down to the gold ballroom, and it is the 1920s again. It is stunning. Everyone's in flapper dresses and yes. tuxedo. We have a full house, like gorgeous pink and red and gold decorations. And he bellies up to the bar and he greets Lloyd, the bartender, again. And Lloyd serves him up a bourbon on the rocks. And this time, uh, Jack did bring cash. And he goes to pay him. And Lloyd said, your money's no good here, Mr. Torrance. Orders from the house. And Jack says, well, I mean, I'll thank you, but I'd like to know who's buying my drinks. And Lloyd says, oh, that's not a matter that concerns you, Mr. Torrance. At least not at this point. Jack says, well. It's also like, okay. I know this is all not real. Yeah. And, like, his inability to, like, sort through what is real and isn't real is gone. But it's, yes. like, you need cash? There's no one here. Like, it's— like, right. it's Also, like, like, is it 1920? Because if, so, if it's 1920s prices— You need, like, a dime. <laughs> yeah, baby, this—everyone's <laughs> drinking on your dime. Um, and so he gets a drink, and he turns, and a waiter walking by spills three glasses of, uh, like, a—sort of, like, not a champagne flute— 
but it is a uh, a beverage called avocat, and it is a traditional Dutch alcohol beverage made from egg sugared brandy, which does seem like they were drinking in the twenties, right? Yes. Um, spills it. It kind of is like a, a. It looks like soup or like custard spilled on him, and the waiter's like, "Oh, sir." <laughs> this is humiliating. Please come with me out to the men's room. Let me try to clean off your coat because it stains horribly. Uh, so the waiter takes it into the men's room, which is bright red to clean off his jacket. And they're standing there and Jack's like, thanks so much. What's your name? And the waiter says Dilbert, sorry, him. The waiter says Delbert Grady. Mm. Jack pings at the name and said, Grady, didn't you used to be the caretaker? Delbert says, I don't think so. He says, well, do, you have a family, right? He goes, yeah, I have a beautiful family. I have a wife and two daughters. Jack says, well, where are they? He's like, oh, they're around here somewhere. Jack says, then, okay, then you were right. You were the caretaker here. I, I saw your picture in the newspapers. And he says to Delbert, you chopped your wife and daughters up into bits, and then you blew your brains out. And Delbert looks at him and says, that's strange, sir. I don't have any recollection of that at all. Jack says, well, either way, we both know you were the caretaker. And Delbert stops him and says, I'm sorry to differ with you, sir, but you're the caretaker. You've always been the caretaker. I should know, I've always been here. And Jack sort of looks at him, baffled. And he's like, sort of laughs, but he's like, clearly, like, there's obviously something in his brain where it's like, wait, what? And Delbert says, you know, did you know your son is attempting to bring an outside party into this situation? And Jack says, who? How would he, who are you talking about? What do you mean? And Delbert says, and he just says the N-word, which I'm obviously not going to say. Right, of course. But it's like he's, you know, Dick Halloran's on the way. And Delbert says the N-word, and Jack repeats it in shock, and Delbert goes, an N-word cook. It's like, okay, well. Okay. I, 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 it's like, I knew there'd be ghosts. I didn't know they'd be racist ghosts, but I guess yeah, it stands right. for reasons. A lot of white ghosts are probably racist. Yeah, from the 20s. Yeah, I bet they use that word. Yeah. And Jack says, well, how would he be calling him? And Delbert tells him, you know, your son is a very great talent. I don't think you know how great it is. But, you know, he's attempting to use that talent. And, you know, he's, well, he's a very willful boy. Jack's like, yeah, he is willful. Delbert's like, if I might be so bold, sir, he's, he's a very naughty boy. Jack says, and that's his mother. She, she interferes. You know, you know women, you know. It's like, I guess. And Delbert's like, well, you know, maybe they both need a good talking to. And he explains, he says, you know. My girls, uh, they didn't care for the overlook at first. One of them actually stole a pack of matches and tried to burn it down. But I corrected them, sir. And when my wife tried to stop me from doing my duty, I corrected her too. Meanwhile, back in the suite, Wendy, you know, for all her dial, she's uh, she's a mother and she knows uh, knows what's up. And she says, basically pacing around, chain smoking, being like, okay, so what the, what's the fucking plan? And she's sort of laying it out to herself out loud. She's like, we have the snowcat. If the weather breaks, we can get down the mountain. I'll call the forest service. And if Jack won't go, then we'll just fucking go then without him. we're just him. going without him. Fuck right. him, yeah. Meanwhile, Danny's in his bed. He starts screaming. She runs in. He's screaming, red, red rum, red rum, red rum. And she comes to him, and he looks like he's still asleep. Like his eyes are open, but he's he's really out of it. And Wendy tries to shake him away. He says, Danny, you just had a bad dream. Instead of Danny's voice, we hear Tony say, Danny's not here, Mrs. Torrance. Danny can't wake up, Mrs. Torrance. Danny's gone away, Mrs. Torrance. Allison, 
downstairs. Jack walks into Mr. Ullman's office, and we hear the Forest Service calling them, trying to get them to reply. Yes, yes. And instead of replying, he takes the top of the radio off and just starts pulling the fuses out. I mean, this guy. Allison, at this point in the movie, I have to ask, who will survive? Who will survive? I mean, I know that Jack dies. Mm-hmm. And I know that, or at least I think I know that... Um. The mother and Danny mm-hmm. make it. And what about Dick Halloran? I think he survives. <laughs> Great. No, no, it's good not to know. It's good not to know. I don't remember. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because. Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Save big money on everything for your spring projects at Menards. We have all of your garden and landscaping essentials. Master Garden Premium Garden Soil contains a slow-release fertilizer that feeds gardens for up to nine months. It produces better results and is ready to use for all your gardening needs. Save big on Menards' great selection of garden and landscaping products. Compare brands in-store or online at Menards.com. Save big money at We see Dick Halloran call the Forest Service again back in Miami, and they say, you know, we're calling, but there's no answer. But we could try again later. He's like, okay, great, I'll, I'll call back. And he sighs because Dick Halloran is a nice person, and he's like, God damn it, I'm going to have to go to the Overlook. Yeah, you text, do. Text on the screen, 8 a.m. Dick bought that fucking ticket, and he got on that plane at 8 a.m. Like, he's we see man. him at night. He's a good man, and he, he will receive his reward in heaven is what I hope. Yes. Uh, we see Dick flying to Denver. He obviously, like, again, knows something is happening. He's trying to stop it. He is giving his life for white people, which, again, I mean, it, you can't critique. Wouldn't recommend it. You can't, yeah, I mean, you can't critique any one particular work, but, like, you know, it is a pattern where it's like, okay, well, but he he can't he can't not know. You know, he knows what The Shining. Right. Um, and we see back at the Overlook, Jack furiously typing on his typewriter. Dick lands at the airport and he calls Larry at Durkin's Auto Supply, which I think we're to believe is like near, is in Sidewinder, which is like the closest town. And he knows uh, Dick from his years working at the Overlook. He's like, oh, how's Miami? How's it going? He says, well, I'm actually back in Colorado and I'm going to drive up to you and I need a snowcat to go to the Overlook. Larry's like, what the fuck? He's like, well, the plows have cleared off the roads in town, but those mountain roads are completely blocked. And so, again, Dick's not going to tell him about The Shining, so he says— Right. We, yeah, and how even would you? Yeah, exactly. You can't, can't get into it with Larry up at the auto parts store, you know? <laughs> like, they'd be on the phone all day. Um, and he's like, honestly, I need to get up there because the people we hired are complete unreliable assholes, unfortunately. So I need to get up there, find out what needs to happen, if they need to be replaced. And, yeah. you know, we can't leave them Good up lie. there, you know? He said, so I'm going to drive. I'm going to get to you. He's renting a car driving five hours. And it's like, ooh, renting a car— like, like, if you were in the situation, Allison, I do want to save you, but, like, oh. 
to rent a car to drive for five hours Ooh. alone in, like, bad conditions. I don't know, man. Yeah, and I would say for me, you don't have to do all that. You know, if you could take the bus, I'd love you to show up. If not, don't get a snow cat. Don't worry about it. Um, but Dick, again, like, a better person than us, and he drives, and he's driving on the highway. It's total whiteout. The highways are not clear. There, We see a flipped-over semi that is on top of a car. So it's a, ma- a madness, right? Yeah. It's horrible. Chaos. Um, up in the suite, Danny and Wendy watch the Roadrunner. Again, Wendy is chain-smoking and trying to get Danny to talk. She says, okay, Danny, I'm going to go talk to your daddy. I'm going to be right back, and I will be locking the door to the suite behind me. Um, and Danny says, okay, Mrs. Torrance, because it's just Tony still. Yeah. Um, Wendy, we see you go down to the Colorado room, and she's got her baseball bat again, because, again, Wendy uh, knows Smart. what time it is, and it is uh, time to die, time to leave. Um, and she finds Jack, you know, he's gone from the room, and she goes to look at his papers in the typewriter. Again, this is perhaps the seminal moment in The Shining. Yes. She sees what he's been writing obsessively, staying up so late to write, being so cruel to her and his son, and it's the same line over and over and over again. Reams of paper with the same line, all work and no play make Jack, Jack. a dull boy. She looks at his papers. Again, So I like this. Like sometimes it's formatted like a screenplay, and then sometimes yes. it looks like poems. Like a novel, yeah. And then it just becomes run-on sentences over and over again. Of course, Jack appears from behind her and says, how do you like it? And Wendy screams and starts to back away. And he's like, why are you down here? She says, I just want to talk. He's like, what do you want to talk about, Danny? Again, we see Danny upstairs. He's staring in the middle distance. And we see the blood dumping out of the elevator. Mm -hmm. Jack says, I think we should discuss Danny. I think we should discuss what should be done with him. And Wendy's like, well, I I think we should take him to a doctor as soon as possible. And he goes, oh, I think you should go to the doctor as soon as possible. I'm like, I would be swinging that bat as soon as I heard that fucking name. Right in his dumb head. Like, are you kidding me? And he says, you're so concerned about him. Are you concerned about me? Do you have any idea? I've made a promise to the people, the owners of the Overlook Hotel. Have you ever had a single moment's thought about my responsibilities? Do you have the slightest idea what a moral and ethical principle is? Do you? And Wendy says, I'm going to go back to my room. And she starts to back up the stairs to the second floor Mm -hmm. with the bat in front of her. Yes, of course. Jack is not deterred. And uh, she says, don't hurt me. And she's sort of holding the bat, kind of swinging it in front of her. Like, don't stay away from me. And he's like, honey, I am not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in. And he reaches to try to grab the bat, and she swings it, luckily hitting him in the head, knocking knocking him down the stairs. And he also injures his leg, as we see She's able to run away. He wakes up. Uh, sorry. He falls topless on the stairs, knocked unconscious. Mm. He wakes up while being dragged across the floor into the storeroom by Wendy. She can't get the door handle open at first, is panicking. He's waking up. Luckily, she's able to unlock it, roll him in, and slam the door right as he wakes up and gets up. This isn't the freezer. This is just the dry goods store. Yeah. So it's just a lockable room that she's putting him in. And so, of course, in order to prey on her emotion, he's like, Wendy, I think I hurt my head. Oh, God, Wendy, I need a doctor. Trying to, like, get her to be sympathetic. So mm-hmm. he open the door. And Wendy is sobbing, and he, he calls her over, and she grabs a butcher knife. She said, I'm going to take Danny down to Sidewander in the snowcat. I'm bringing a doctor back up here when we get done. I, I'll get you help, okay? 
And Jack starts laughing. He's like, you're not going anywhere. Go check out the radio. And then go check out the snowcat. Of course, she takes the knife. She runs on the front door. Again, still blizzarding. Of course. Runs out the front door and sees the snowcat. The hood is up. And he has cut out, I don't know, engine, but she has cut out yeah. a big piece of the engine where we see, like, four cords cut. Clearly no, long, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no longer functional. Text on the screen, 4 p.m. In the storeroom, we see Jack is sleeping on a pile of flower bags. Yeah. And a knock comes at the door, and he says, Wendy. And the wife says, no, it's, it's Grady, Mr. Torrance. Delbert Grady. And Grady tells Jack, I and the others have come to agree that it just seems like your heart isn't in this. You haven't a belly for it, you know, and, and you got to think about your responsibilities here. And Jack says, no, I, you got to give me one more chance. And Grady says, you know, your wife seems to be stronger, Mr. Torrance. She seems to have gotten the better of you. And Jack says, only for the moment. And Grady tells Jack, I'm afraid you'll have to deal with this situation in the harshest possible manner. And Jack replies, there's nothing I look forward to as much as that, Mr. Grady. I give you my word. And the storeroom door unlocks. Meanwhile, Dick Halloran <laughs> is making great time in his snowcat. He is just driving across, like, the, the mounds of snow, no problem. Yes. Um, Danny and Wendy are back up in the suite. They've locked the door. And Danny comes over to his mother, who's dozed off on the bed, and says, Red Rom." Red rum. And he picks up her knife and he writes red rum on the back of the door in her lipstick. Oh. And he starts screaming, red rum, red rum, red rum, over and over again until his mom awakens and sees in the mirror behind him, red rum in reverse murder. Yes, of course. Then they hear a slam, Allison. Unfortunately, Jack is breaking down the sweet door with an axe. Yeah. And he's able to bust through and he screams, Wendy, I'm home. Wendy's grabs Danny and they run to the bathroom and she's able to get the little tiny window open and push him out and the snow yes. is drifted high enough along the building. That it's like, yeah, not a far drop. Yeah, so he kind of slides down the drifted snow but she cannot get the window open enough as an adult. Yes. And she calls down to Danny and tells him to run. Run and hide. And Jack comes to the bathroom door and starts hacking it down. It says, little pigs, little pigs. Let me in, not by the hair on your chinny-chin-chin. Then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow the house in. And he axes through the door. And perhaps, again, one of the other famous moments, he puts his face in the gap and says, here's Johnny. Here's Johnny. And he reaches in to unlock the door. But Wendy still has her butcher knife for the kitchen and slashes his hand. Yes. Okay, good. And he jerks his hand back. And they both hear Dick's snowcat arrive outside. So they're both sort of, okay, he's at least destabilized the situation so she's not be immediately about to be murdered, right? And we see Danny running through the overlook and he hides in one of the metal cabinets in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And Dick Halloran comes to the lobby, he's calling, is anyone here? Are you, are you alive? But unfortunately, Dick Halloran doesn't know about everything that we know about. Mm. And when he wanders through the lobby, we hear the howl of the wind outside. He, has no, he don't, doesn't know what's around the next corner. And Jack lunges out of the shadows and buries his axe in Dick's chest. Oh, right. Now I remember that. Killing him. Yeah. Uh, but that's not enough for him. Uh, and he's up next. He looks up from Dick's body and screams, Daddy! And Danny, as a terrified child, emerges from the kitchen cabinet and runs. Aww. Fortunately, because of Jack's fall on the stairs, he cannot move as fast as he could. Yes. Or else he would have just catch up to him. So Danny is loose. 
Uh, Jack is screaming for him, but is too slow, so he at least has a little headway. Meanwhile, Wendy emerges from the suite, having not been able to get through the window, knife in hand, and is also calling for Danny. And when she runs up the stairs, she sees, the moment you referenced earlier, a man in a bear costume with, like, the butt flap open. Yeah. Giving a guy a blowjob. Yeah. What is that? So... Um, based on what I could Google, there's a lot of different theories, but the literal answer is that there was a subplot about the hotel's owner being bisexual and having a man as Mm. his dog, right? So sort of an erotic relationship with a man with his dog. He was his owner. And in the book, at least, he would sort of dress up as a dog and do tricks. But this, what's interesting is this costume is more bear than dog. So that's what I think a lot of like the theorizing and hypothesizing about is about, which we'll get to at the end. Because it's a standalone image that in the context of the book, I think has more context, but removed. And the movie feels so removed. Yeah. And so, but it's also the first time that we see Wendy see the ghost. Yes. So to see that, have that be the first ghost you see is. Jarring. Jarring and hilarious. (laughs) Um, Jack gets to the front door. He finds it open. He turns on the exterior lights and poor Danny has to run into the hedge maze to hide from his father. And we see Jack staggering after him. Unfortunately, Mm. he could follow Danny's footsteps because there's no other footsteps in the snow because it's been blizzarding. Wendy makes her way to the kitchen and finds her way to the lobby where she finds Dick Halloran's corpse on the floor. And she turns and sees another ghost, a white man in a tuxedo with a bleeding head, and says, great party, isn't it? She runs, and when she emerges back into the lobby, it is covered in cobwebs and full of skeletons and fancy dress, looking Mm. like they've been there since the 1920s. Yes. In the hedge maze, because Danny is a genius, he realizes he's leaving footsteps. So to trick his dad, he backtracks into his own footsteps and then sort of erases them so he can go sideways down a different alley in the maze. Mm-hmm. Um, as Jack sort of screams and tries to fo- follow him through the maze Wendy runs back and she's finally in front of the red elevators and then she see- gives the classic Kelly- Shelley Duvall gigantic eyes gasp yes. and she sees the blood dumping out of the open elevators yes in the maze Jack gets the end of Danny's footsteps and it looks like Danny just disappeared into thin just, air yes. and he screams Daddy and we see Danny emerge from the opening of the maze just as Wendy runs out the front door and they grab each other. Mm. And she grabs him and she throws him into the snowcat that Dick Halloran had brought. So mm-hmm. he had, there's still a functional snowcat. It's his. Luckily, the keys are in it. Throws him in and we hear her start it up and drive away. And as they drive away, Jack, we start to see him start to succumb to hypothermia. And as he starts to die, he screams, help me, help me, please. Of course, there's no one there left to help. In the morning, we had that last shot of him. Yes. Completely frozen, eyes rolled up, sitting in the hedge, hedge maze. And we get the last shot again, iconic. We see we're, we're traveling through the lobby as old timey music starts to play. We zoom in on a wall of black and white photos throughout the history of the Overlook. And we zoom in on a photo that reads Overlook Hotel, July 4th, Ball, 1921. And right in the middle is Jack clearly haven't been added or perhaps being called back to the eternal check-in list at the Overlook Hotel because after all, Allison, as Grady told us earlier, he's always been there. The Shining. Wow. It's like the first time. 
Um, <laughs> it's like the first time every every time. Every time. Um, well, let's do uh, fatal mistakes, and we can get into yeah. our other conversation. What are some fatal mistakes you think were made in The Shining? Fatal mistakes. I mean, taking this as a job thinking that your family won't completely disintegrate around you and that you'll get writing done. I mean, it's really... Yes, yeah. That. Um, and also, like, st- like, not to blame her for still being in that marriage, but, like, don't go with him, you know? Like, don't... Yeah. He, he, there are bumps in this road, and this isn't a good relationship, so just take your adorable son and go start over somewhere else, which I guess does happen at the end, but... Right. But at what cost? But at what cost? Yeah, two I people think, are dead. Yeah, exactly. Again, not to, not certainly not to blame Wendy. Um, I would say it's not a mistake that Dick Halloran came back. Right, because uh, he was just trying to help. Right, but I mean, he did. Um, it, it it did lead him to his doom. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, but that's fine. I mean, he. I think he knew that on some level and was. Making a decision, the moral decision, which I think is yes. is correct to save a child's life, um, but you know, I, again, better man than I. Um, yes. uh, I'd, be, I'd be calling that Forest Service to make a make a um, like. Why well, don't you guys in. go check on them? Yeah. Um, um, I have a question for you. Lay it on me, I, and then I have some questions for you. Okay. Yes. In a scenario where there isn't um, a haunting and a shining or whatever, but, like, you are tasked with going with, let's say, your wife and son um, to a hotel, how long do you think you could have lasted? If there was nothing, like, spooky going on and, like, you have no medical issues, it's just, like, how long could you have lasted without absolutely losing it? Do you think you could make it five Um, months? I think I could make it no amount of time. I I, I had two weeks off for um, the holidays, and I was like, oh, I'm at a great— uh, enjoy doing nothing. I went completely insane. I'm not someone yeah. who I need to have both a lot of structure and also I need to interact with a lot of different people. Yeah. And that's just like I know about myself. I couldn't do it. I would never put myself in the situation. I would do like a writer's retreat, but like to yeah, be yeah. this secluded for this long. Could you do like two weeks or is that like too much? I do could think? do two weeks. I could do two weeks. And but say it's very like today you have internet and television and yeah, stuff. Yeah, then like I think that. that's fine. Yeah. And uh, I, I would think make two sure, weeks is where I would top out. Yeah, I just uh, I see it, and I understand there's people who are like literally this would be their dream. They could be totally yeah, fine. It's not me. Not me by any stretch of the imagination. Not I. Now here's a, here's my question. There's going to be a little pop quiz on again oh, no. a movie you've seen. You say twice seems like three times. Um, and, and now just listen to. <laughs> and and so uh, Allison, um, please welcome the shining pop quiz. What was Dick Halloran's job at the Overlook? Chef. Okay, great. Okay. Or cook or, you know. You're a head chef. You're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. What food does he recommend Wendy eat if she wants to be happy? Dried fruit slash prunes. Okay, great. And then finally. Which is just like good advice for anyone. Oh, absolutely. Get fiber, babes. Um, and then finally, uh, we met the character Delbert Grady. When we hear the story... What is Grady's first name? Got me. Christopher? Charles. Actually, you're oh. really close. Okay. Um, and then, uh, as, as alluded to earlier, I do want to touch on Stanley Kubrick's treatment yes. of Shelley Duvall. So this is very complicated. I think, like, the thing about Alfred Hitchcock is that it is not complicated. And, yeah. like, I think Tippi Hedren later came back and was like, I did get something out of these this relationship. I mean, again, sure. it's so complicated. And also, I think 
that was the expectation of Hollywood at the time. So the idea of like, oh, this guy was a monster. It's like, well, yeah, but I, I worked in Hollywood. I was an actress. What, what do you think it was like here? Yeah. And I think with Shelley Duvall, and I would just say, if you want to know, um, read about her feelings about it now. Uh, in uh, February 11th, 2021, uh, there's a profile of her uh, in The Hollywood Reporter called Searching for Shelley Duvall, the reclusive icon on fleeing Hollywood and the scars of making The Shining. And I think a lot, it's sort of like, um, it's it's something where it's like, this is personally complicated for her, which is totally understandable. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, uh, Angelica Houston, who was dating mm-hmm. uh, Jack Nicholson at the time, yes. uh, talks to, also talks to The Hollywood Reporter. Shelley Duvall, I think, said like, it was difficult, but ultimately I think that this was like a good relationship and maybe a hard experience, but does not think of it as negatively as perhaps... If they happened now, we, I think yeah. it'd be much clearer that, like, you yes. cannot treat your actresses yes. like this. And Houston, he, uh, Angelica Houston, it, it, she had more of a clear of, like, this to her was, like, Nicholson and Kubrick sort of ganging up on Duvall, kind of, like, the idea of, like, oh, we're going to push this woman to the brink to get a better yes. performance out of her. Yes. And she is phenomenal in it, and she is much better than Jack Nicholson in it. She yeah. carries the film because she's the only one who's playing it, like, realistically. Real. Yeah. And the child, of He's course. He's playing it too big. Right. So it's just sort of, like, driving her towards it. But it's one of those things where, like, I think now if that would have happened, it'd be like, yeah, you can't do this. It also, I don't buy it. Like, oh, the better performance. That's just, like, a director having no boundaries and, like, being right. insane. Versus, like, I think now we have a little more, like, an actress is a person. Like, oh, you're going to, like, ma- break this woman down on set? Like, to what end? And do, like, have her do, like, 35 takes? You know? I don't know. But, I, I don't know. So it's worth reading this, I think, to just see her perspective on it. Again, I don't know. It's And that, I don't know. It, it, like, how do you determine mm-hmm. someone else's experience of something? Yeah. I don't know how you decide that, right? Right. So I definitely think she's someone who would be like, yep, he definitely made me cry. You know, he definitely mm-hmm. made me do, you know, a million, dozens of takes. But, you know, for her, that was part of the process and felt like I understand that, which feels very dated thinking in that way now, right? Yes. And I think I do appreciate that putting in the Angelica Houston, someone who, you know, sort of was around at the time, and her reaction to it was that this was something that was not, that was beyond appropriate. This was not a, a something that you could understand, like, oh, a difficult director and, and, a, and a talented performer. Like, that this was some, a, a level of, um, I mean, just like a workplace harassment, yes. you know, that would be unacceptable today, you know? And I think yeah. it's good, too, that we have moved in this, in this uh, direction where it wouldn't be a question. Like, if your main actress is sobbing because you're berating her on set, like, there'd be no question that, that what you're doing be a, is inappropriate. Yeah, it wouldn't be acceptable. It would be, like, immediately something that would be, people would be like, this is not behavior that we allow anymore, like, whatever. But back then it was a different, grayer yeah. area. Yeah, and Angelica Houston in this article, she says, like, of the performance, she actually carried the movie on her back, if you look at it now, because Jack wavers between sort of comedic and terrifying. And that's how I feel watching it. It's like, it is her performance because she is playing it. She is our our every woman. She is the normal person. Once Jack Nicholson goes over the top, she is the only one grounding us, and she really is excellent. But again, at what psychological cost? Like, I— you know, um, but yeah, please uh, take a look at that. Then the other thing I want to talk about is, of course, Room yes. 237, which is our documentary 
Um, and we're just going to run down the, the, four um, the conspiracies yeah. or whatever. And so basically, also, please watch this if you like The Shining, if you haven't seen it. I definitely think it's worth uh, watching, even though I'm going to want to shit all over it. But that my shitting all over it is not a question of like, oh, is it wrong to look for these things? Or even is are these topics here? I personally think there is a limit to the value in looking for hidden messages in a piece of art rather than just taking the art in total. Like the idea of like looking for like different clues. I, I get it, but it's just, I don't think that that's how you can understand yeah, a movie. Like it's, and I don't think it makes it yeah, better. I think I don't like know. there's a level of like looking at detail and seeing how it is a part of a bigger story being told. And I think that that's, as, like, an English literature major, like, that was something I loved about, like, dissecting a work. But when you're trying to take the details and say, it's actually saying this, that's when I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I think one out of a thousand times, that's probably a true thing. Right. So here we're going to, we're going to run this down. And also I think some of these theories aren't theories. They're just like, oh, something that absolutely was in. Yes. The movie, and the first one, of course, is uh, the through line of sort of the genocide of Native American people. Now, to me, and they're like, oh, you know, in the storeroom you see, uh, for example, at one point behind Dick uh, Halloran, you see a Columet baking powder canister. My thing about this is they told us it's buried on an ancient Indian right. burial ground. We know that this right. is part and, of like, it. like, the American West, like, is, I mean, like, yes. is much more, I think, in uh, in touch with the people who lived there before white settlers than the East Coast, which I feel like really pushes down um, indigenous history. So it's like, yeah, of course there's going to be, like, visual motifs. There's going to be, like, acknowledgments mm-hmm. in that way. Like, I don't know why it was, like, supposed to be mind-blowing that it was, like— this movie deals a bit with Native American history when, like, of course it does. <laughs> yes. So that's when I'm like, okay, like, and it's uh, it's referenced directly, mm-hmm. like, understand. Okay, here's another one. Um, the Holocaust. Yeah. Um, and so the ref- here are the clues that people use in, in Room 237, yeah. the documentary. Um, there's a repeated reference to the number 42. Yeah. Um, 42 is essentially when Hitler's uh, uh, grand design went into effect, right? Um, to me, that is so tenuous as to be an insane thing to say. Um, it, they think that all work and no play makes Jack a doll, ball, doll boy is a reference to sort of the um, work makes free, like work, you know, sort of the the ethos of, you know, sort of like being put into work camps, um, there is also at one point, uh, Jack Nicholson has a yellow eagle shirt on his shirt, which of the course, ar- the argument not, is that it's a Nazi it's, emblem. It's, it's just, just an, a also an like eagle. If you were in Germany wearing a shirt with an eagle on it, okay, maybe I'm a little more interested in drawing that line. In America, like it's our it's like our bird, separate from like <laughs> like that's right. Yeah, and I was just like, I don't know about that one. Okay. So this one, okay, maybe it's sort of the 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 motif of the labyrinth and the minotaur. So sort of like the oh, idea yes. of the maze is a labyrinth, and Jack is it's sort minotaur. of is the minotaur, this yes. creature hunting down his child. And I'm like, I guess I, I don't know. Like to me, it's like that's an interesting idea to bring to it. Well, I think there's like there's also such a difference when like you talk about this kind of like film critique and theory, where it's like maybe that's like we absorb, like, different stories and archetypes and all of these things as, like, people who create art. And it's, like, I am sure that Stanley Kubrick 
was very aware of, like, the myth of the Minotaur, whether he was trying to show, right. like, that is just a, you know, there are, like, 12 stories ever. Um, and there are, everything yeah. that we see is kind of drawn from, like, the same kind of few narratives. And, like, that is one. And I'm sure he was aware of it, but it's also not, like, what it's about. <laughs> oh, there's also the other thing, the Minotaur thing, there's also, like, a poster of a skier that, like, that yes. looks like the Minotaur. And I'm like, I, I guess, don't guys, know. I don't know. It's a stretch. I don't know. And then finally, and of course, uh, you know. The most interesting and controversial conspiracy theory. Well, which is that this is, in fact, Stanley Kubrick admitting that he shot the fake Apollo 11 moon landing yes. footage. And um, basically, th- that has long been a rumor that it was fake footage of them landing on the on the moon. Uh, some of the references, uh, Danny does wear an Apollo 11 uh, yes. sweater. Uh some people say that 237 is refers to the mean distance of the Earth to yes. the moon. There's also things like the carpet pattern looks like the launching pad. And I'm like, I, I guess. guess. Yeah, there's I... a lot of little. I feel like I remember there was one where I was like, it's kind of interesting. Like, not in a way that would, like, sway me. But I was like, right. that at least felt like a, there was, I, I just can't remember what the detail was. But there was one detail I was like, that very much fits the story you want to tell. <laughs> Yes, yeah. And I don't know. I mean, look, I I, I, I got an English right. degree. So I, I took one class that it was literally like, uh, it was about, um, oh my God, what is that? What is, uh, Dracula? Is that the name of the book? Yeah. Bra- Bram Bra- Stoker's Bra- Dracula. Bra- uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. And it was like, oh, the Dracula as the typewriter. Dracula as women yes. liberations. Mm-hmm. Dracula oh, yeah, yeah. as immigration into Europe. Yes. And that's interesting, but it wasn't saying like, if you look really close, that's what it's saying. It's saying, like, here's the things that were happening that would have informed yes. this. So I think, to me, it's like, it, perhaps you could say, oh, was he aware of that myth about him and that perhaps he could have put these yes. things in? Because I think it's sort of like when, I don't know, it's like when, like, gay people make jokes about, like, what conservatives say about us. And they're like, that's proof that it's true. It's mm-hmm. like, no, we consume the same media yes. you do. We right. hear this you. is isn't a vacuum. Like, this is these things speak to each other, and that's kind of the point. <laughs> Right, like the idea that he'd be like, oh, I, this is an admission rather than if there is stuff that you don't think he's poking fun at that rumor. I mean, like, come on. But that's my yeah. opinion about it. It's um, a, if you like the movie, and, it's a fun, it's very, it's not done yes. well. It's like whatever, but it is kind of a fun, like, you know, Sunday night. Let's watch something kind of weird. Like, it's a, it's a fun, it's a fun watch. I think it's on Netflix. I, I saw it super stoned. Yeah, that's, that's the way, the way to see it. it. I will say the budget is, was $5,426. So I would say for that budget. Impressive. I mean, yeah, there's like, there's no talking. It's just like uh, footage. Yeah. <laughs> um, Allison, let's put this on the spooky scale. A spooky scale. I think like that while like I don't, there's not a ton of like terrifying action done in this movie. Like I do find the scoring and the just like mm-hmm. general like, the the unsettling nature of the movie to be very I I would give this a a, f- <clears throat> a five okay great I'm gonna give this I'm gonna give it a five as well because I really enjoyed it as sort of this tragic unraveling of this man that's gonna take this out on his family and that was I think it's a great movie it just wasn't there were I wasn't spooked at any point. I wasn't yeah. creeped out. I 
I, but to be fair, I mean, that could also be like, this has been filtered to us, you know, for so many decades yes. to perhaps have seen it in the theater and been shocked. But what's interesting is it actually um, got kind of mixed reviews when it first came out. Oh. And uh, to the point where they, it was nominated at the first ra- ever Razzies in 1981 for Worst Director and Worst Actress. And they later rescinded her uh, Razzie uh, because in uh, 2022, out of sort of acknowledgement of Kubrick's treatment yes. of her on set. Yeah. It's like, well, it sounds like it was hard. Uh, we didn't mean to make it worse by giving you a Razzie. Right. Also, she's great in it. Like, I don't yeah, think she's good. Like, I don't think great even separate from what was going on on set, like, I don't think that, that she gives a bad performance at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. I think that feels right. Um, yeah. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Supersized, um, fun, fun episode. This is the only one like this ever because. There's no other movies that I've seen that we're going to do. Right, because we saw Scream and this one. Right. I want to say that. Oh, then did and you see Saw? Get Out. That's what it was. Uh, and saw, yeah, Get Out get and out? Saw. I don't know. Like, who hasn't well, seen it? Like, I don't know. But we'll, we'll figure we'll it out. We'll have to do it. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. We love you very much. And please, please keep, keep it spooky. spooky. Don't forget to follow us at Ruin Podcast and Crooked Media on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok for show updates. And if you're just as opinionated as we are, consider dropping us a review. Ruined is a radio point and Crooked Media production. We're your writers and hosts, Hallie Kiefer and Allison Leiby. The show is executive produced by Alex Bach, Sabrina Fonfetter, and Houston Snyder, and recorded and edited by Kat Iosa. From Crooked Media, our executive producer is Kendra James, with production and promotional support from Ari Schwartz, Kyle Sieglin, Julia Beach, Caroline Dunphy, and Awa Okalati. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food service.